Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Reflect Forward. I'm your host, Carrie Siggins, and I am so glad you are here today. Today, my guest is Dr. Benjamin Ritter, founder of Live For Yourself Consulting. He is a leadership and career coach, a talent development executive, a values geek, an international speaker, and a podcaster who is very passionate about guiding leaders to be the leader of their own career and to create a career they love. During his time as a healthcare executive and a side hustling entrepreneur, he was overworked and underutilized. And despite his professional successes, he did not feel successful. I think we can all relate. We've all probably been at that point in our career. Maybe we are there now. And after much introspection, he pivoted professionally and launched himself into the field of leadership development and personal empowerment. That is how and why he started Live For Yourself Consulting which is a coaching consulting company focused on leading and empowering entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs that feel overwhelmed, overworked, or underutilized. And he is passionate about helping his clients create a career that they love. So with that, I will bring you Dr. Benjamin Ritter. We can call him Ben, as he says, Benjamin's a mouthful. So hang tight and I'll be right back. All right, everyone, welcome back. I have Benjamin Ritter with me today. Ben, thank you so much for joining me on the show. I am excited to be speaking with the Transformation Architect. I feel like it's an honor for me as well. <laughs> oh, that's great. I love it. I love transforming. So, uh, but let's talk about you today. All right, so you are a coach who helps people figure out what they want to do with their lives, help them figure out how to build a career that they love. Tell us how you got to where you are now uh, in your journey. Well, thank you for the chance to introduce myself. I guess I could say I'm a little bit of an architect of careers, so not as many, not as much transformations. But So I have a background in organizational leadership. I got my doctorate back in 2018, focusing on job satisfaction and value congruence. So I was, I'm personally kind of a values geek. I believe that values are the, the truth. They're the foundation of it all. And when it comes to motivation, job satisfaction, and even being a leader, because a lot of times leaders think that they are responsible for other people's levels of job satisfaction, but they're not. We can talk about that later. Uh, but also they're, they're responsible for their own. How can they do that for themselves, especially high achieving professionals that doubt their success constantly. I think it's kind of the story of a, of a leader. Uh, but if we go back in time to when I was actually working in healthcare, I was on the executive team and pretty disengaged at work. I don't know if you've ever been there, but I was going into work not to work. And I was going into work not trying to have conversations with people that I worked with because it meant that I was wasting time and building relationships with people that weren't going to matter anyways. So I always had one foot out the door. And it bothered me that my leaders didn't notice. It bothered me that the organization wasn't trying to make me happier. For someone that they thought was a high achiever, someone that they thought was valuable because they promoted me into this position, for someone that they constantly said was doing great work, I was totally, like, I just didn't even care. I was the disengaged employee that probably cost them more money to keep employed. And so it bothered me that they didn't fix it. And I think a lot of people are, that are working professionals blame the organization for how they feel each and every single day. Now, I had a lot of disappointments in my professional career. A lot of things didn't work out than I thought they were going to. So, for example, 
uh, four different job offers canceled due to federal funding. Uh, my major being canceled in college, my dream career being crushed when I was younger. So having to learn how to like reinvent myself personally was was something that I did, but I never actually ended up be feeling like I was a leader in my own career. Never really took the reins and said, I'm going to be proactive instead of reactive. And I think that has something to do with just being disappointed. So I was successful, but didn't really feel like I made a choice to be in that position and to have that success. So it didn't really hit me. It didn't really matter. And luckily, one day, I was walking into work, and I was looking at the people around me that were passing me by. And by the way, I could walk to work. It was pretty, it was pretty great. And I was going into the office, feeling a sense of dread, feeling like the weight of not wanting to go into uh, that same old day, that same old job, to hide away, uh, really feeling like that weight was on my shoulders. And I looked around, and I started making eye contact with people that passed me by. And lo and behold, I saw myself. I saw people that felt, that looked like they felt the same way that I did. And it was just like a light bulb went off. And it was just like, why am I doing this? Why am I letting this happen? No one made me feel this way. I made my, myself feel this way. No one is responsible for my levels of satisfaction and happiness. I am. I know this. I do this in my personal life. I do this in my relationships. Why was I letting this happen at work? So that little light bulb moment led me to take some action. And when we can become proactive in our career, a lot of great things can happen. So I did a career audit. I asked myself, what do I care about? What are my strengths? What challenges do I want to face? What projects do I want to learn? Who do I want to work with? What types of impact what, uh, do I want to have? What types of organizations do I want to be a part of? And lo and behold, looking around at my poor leadership, I said, I want to fix this and I want to fix me. And luckily at the time, I was selected for a leadership development program, 16 months of training, had a director of people, had my own coach basically, and said, this is where I need to be. And so I started paving the path forward to become an expert in leadership, become an expert in talent development, and to create a career in this space. Uh, there are some twists and turns along the way that led me to create my own business. Uh, I have worked internally in organizations as a head of talent development. I've created talent development departments. I have been, been, you know, a facilitator of large corporate workshops and such, but I'm sure we'll get into all of that loveliness as well. That's amazing. And it sounds like what you're talking about is self-leadership, uh, which is one of our core values at Stone Age, and, and I'm such a believer in it. Um, so, you know, through this, what did you learn about self-leadership? Because I love that you say, like, your career is your responsibility, and I tell people that all the time, but I, I want to hear what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, you are accountable, so you're responsible. No one else is. And you are empowered, so you have permission to create whatever you want to create in the world when it comes to your career. That can mean giving feedback to your boss, giving feedback to your direct reports, giving feedback to your peers, applying to that job, going on that podcast interview, going to that networking event. Like we, we really, it comes down to intentionality. What is it that you want to create? Or are you showing up and taking action to create it? And a lot of times, the stress that we feel in our careers, especially as leaders, we don't know what we want to create. And so we're not taking action to go create it. And so we feel like we're stuck. We feel like something is off. And so self-leadership is really having the clarity uh, to understand what you want to do, like what, what your vision is, long-term and short-term, why it matters to you, so your values. So you, when you walk into a room and someone asks, what do you do? You're not focused on your job. You're focused on the impact of that job and what you're, what you're trying to create in the world. To have the confidence to go after it. And that means belief in yourself. So 
taking away the microphone from the inner critic and giving it to the inner champion and making sure that, that inner champion has the resources they need to thrive, as well as taking steps to learn the skills. Like, for example, I knew nothing about leadership. Now I'm an expert on feedback, on one-to-ones, on team dynamics, you know, and situational leadership. I went and learned it. So under really understanding that you can learn anything and taking the steps to learn it, that'll, and those things, what you're learning should align with your goals. And then control. And control is the fact that I'm going to steer the ship. Doesn't matter what weather, like what the weather is outside. Doesn't matter what other ships are around me. I know where I'm going and why I'm going there. And I'm going to take consistent steps to get there. That means I'm going to set boundaries in my environment when it comes to work, when it comes to my personal life. It means that I'm going to be able to self-regulate my emotions. When I don't feel good, I'm going to know what I need to get done to take action and be okay. And it also means that when uh, things come up that might be distracting, that you know what your purpose is and you're able to, to stay aligned with that as well. Yep. I love that answer. You know, I, uh, I was a terrible self-leader uh, when I was living in Austin, Texas, where you are now. Um, and, you know, I was similar to you of like, I hated my job and it was not like the right cultural fit. Um, you know, the, the, my boss, he was fine, but it didn't really resonate with me. And I also had substance abuse issues. And so it was like this, like never ending spiral of like shame and blame and feeling terrible about myself, um, that I was in. And it took me almost dying to be able to like figure out what self-leadership is and all those things that you just said of like, okay, I've got to take control of my life because, um, you know, I don't want to be a high functioning addict. I want to be a high functioning, high performer (laughs) human being, right? Not just like going through the motions and being miserable and everything that I did. And so, you know, I think this is a really important conversation because a lot of times people burn out, right? They crash and burn and, and maybe they don't go to like, you know, the extremes that I did of, 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 of overdosing, but, you know, to that place of rock bottom for them when they finally realize like, I've got to do something. How do you stop that before you get to that place where you're just utterly miserable? <laughs> I think miserable isn't really rock bottom yet. It's yeah. <laughs> it's the it's the I don't care that I'm miserable. Yeah. And I don't care about anything because I'm miserable. The only thing that I care about is the fact that nothing, you know, I'm in, I am miserable or nothing matters. It's like the what's so scary about hitting rock bottom and I just let's just use the word burnt out because I think it's it's overly used but it's a good descriptor is that even the things that bring you joy stop bringing you joy. And there's like, there's, there's very little you can do from a, an action perspective that is going to refuel the tank. It's like your tank has a bunch of holes in it. You actually need to heal before you can start taking action. You need to take yourself out of the toxic environment and the thing that is poking holes in your tank and just give yourself time to make sure that there aren't any holes left, that you're healing, and then you can worry about filling it back up. So luckily, I, I work with people prior to that yeah. point. I don't think that a coach is the right step if you are at that point, when you are completely exhausted, ready to quit your job and travel the world for five years, or maybe check into a rehab center potentially, mm-hmm. or just get away from the things that are poisoning you. Mm-hmm. And you know there, That's a step you need to take. Now, when you're ready to take action, when you're ready to reflect and face the things that were toxic to you, but you're not really 
chugging it, you know, you're not really having it be all everything in your life, then I think you can start working with a coach and taking action. So for myself, when I'm working with clients, it's an assessment of what level are they at and how far down have they gone? And do they still have a little bit of wick left or are they, are they completely empty? Because you can be resentful. You can be in a victim mentality. You can have self-doubt and and not have confidence in yourself. You could be drained and overwhelmed, but you're not, you may not be burnt out. And so when we start working together with someone that's in that situation, when they feel lost, when they feel drained, the first thing we need to do, because a lot of times they'll want to run. So they'll want to leave the thing that makes them feel bad because they don't know any other solution. They don't understand that they can fix the things that feel bad. So a lot of times when I work with a leader, we'll focus on what are the top three stressors right now in your life. Let's just explore those. Just get really down and dirty in them and break them down in terms of all the different components. And we'll make sure that we cut some of those out. So we're helping them. We're adding more to their tank. What are the things that you really love and enjoy at work? Let's add a little bit more of those in. Who are your most toxic relationships? Let's move away from that. What beliefs are draining you on a daily basis? So initially what we're trying to do is just prevent, like kind of like put, you know, take our two fingers and put out the flame on the wick so that then we can at least have a foundation to work from on the other pieces. Yeah. And so, you know, how prevalent is this of what you see, right? I mean, you read about people burning out and, and, you know, I certainly see it a little bit, but I I also think it's one of those things that, you know, either one, people don't recognize, um, or two, they're too ashamed to to talk about it, right? Because we are in that, you know, you need to perform type culture. Um, and we don't talk about that kind of stuff, culture, um, you know, at least broadly throughout, throughout the United States. Like, do you think that this is really prevalent? Like, what are you seeing with your clients? This idea of burning out and people wanting to run away from from their careers. What I'm seeing more of is actually seeing less of that. And maybe that's because those individuals are going to burnout coaches or they're just quitting and going on a sabbatical. <laughs> what I tend to see, though, are our leaders, our executives that have a hard time setting boundaries, yeah. that live in a constant state of fear of losing their jobs as well as a constant state of self-doubt that they're not good enough. Those all tend to interrelate. So I'm not good enough. I'm not as strong of a leader as I need to be. I need to get better. So a constant search for resources and podcasts and articles and learning from other people instead of actually understanding what their professional brand is and bringing that each and every single day. And then fear of, uh, because of that, because I'm not good enough, a fear of losing their job, a fear of, uh, when it, it honestly financial security, which blows my mind because they're making more, you know, their most executives are probably in the at least top five percent, if not two percent of the world's, you know, income uh, earners, and uh, so that lack of financial security, either due to a a mis uh, relationship with money, like so, it could be a, a perception or a mental attachment to money, or it could be just from spending habits, right, and kind of living outside of outside of uh, what could keep you safe and help you feel safe. Yeah. So how do you go about helping people who, okay, they, you know, whether they're in burnout or whether they're before that, right. But they know that they need to re-architect their careers. Um, uh, so how do you, you walk through this process with them? Mm-hmm. So I actually, I'm going to 
use an example of one of the models that I created for actually working with teams. So there's this team model of managing to motivate. I know we've been talking about self-leadership, but I think this is why not throw some extra info into the mix that relates. So the team model of managing to motivate is how leaders should be approaching their team to ensure that they're motivated. So it's a management style, a management framework. So the T is trust. And so the first thing that we need to do with ourselves, and by the way, everything that you do for somebody else is you can do for yourself. So if you're pulling someone together and you're saying, oh, wow, my team is really motivated because I, I asked them what their career development goals were, or I got them that stapler that they're really asking for. I helped them with resources. You need to ask yourself, what resources do I need? What are my career development goals? And do the same thing for yourself, if, especially if your leader is not doing it for you. So we need to trust ourselves first. And so when we are in a place of, of fear, feeling stuck, we need to take a really hard look at our success and understand that we're going to be okay. And that's actually, I think, one of the greatest benefits of a coach is they're on your side, they're non-judgmental, and they bring a sense of, ooh, okay, there's a path forwards. I can't see it, there's a path forwards. I don't know if, if have you seen this before where an executive, full, great career, had multiple jobs, has had to have multiple jobs to get to where they are, is afraid that they're not going to be able to get a job. Have you ever... Right. Oh, yeah. Seen that? And it's, it's a little mind-boggling because out of anyone that probably could get another job, pretty sure they can. It might not be exactly the amount of money they want to get or in the exact industry they want to be in, but you are hireable. Like, people want you. You are a talent. You, are, you have skill sets that are rare in the marketplace because there's less of you. So trust in yourself is really important. And I'm happy to go into how to build that trust, but I can move on to the other pieces if we want to, just for yeah. Let's do. Let's let's go through the other pieces, and then then we can talk through 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 testing yourself a little bit more. Yeah. So then E is environment, and I talked about resources a bit, but environment relates to a few different things. One resources. So you have the things you need to do your work. That's something as simple as a stapler, something as simple as the right webcam and the computer or computer or, you know, just even where you are working can bring you joy or cause you stress. And a lot of times, leaders especially don't actually ask themselves, what is it that I need to do my job? Because especially when you're in a state of fear, you are so concerned about meeting people's expectations that you don't really sit down and say, what are the tools and resources? And even from an, uh, like a person capacity, what people do I need on my team to get this done? Very often leaders, you know, some, some disruption happens on their team and someone gets let go. So where does the work go? Well, it goes to the leader that doubts themselves because they say, oh, I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it. This is going to look good for me. I'll, I'll do it. So they end up working twice as much, making, making less because they're working more and they're not getting paid more. And then actually performing badly, performing worse because they're so stressed. And then they actually get themselves in trouble because they haven't really fully given them the resources they need to do the job. So resources involve the people you need, the tools that you need. It's ultimately the environment that you're working in, et cetera. Does it bring you joy? Does it support you and your initiatives and what you want to create? So A is your actual work. Does your work bring you joy? Are you doing it in a way that is efficient and effective? What are the things that you're doing that don't really matter anymore? I can't tell you how many times I've worked with someone and said, what would happen if you stopped doing this report for a week? Well, I don't know. Would anyone notice? I'm not sure. I don't know if anyone reads this. Well, then why are you spending two days on it? 
And so really understanding what work you need to stop doing, what work you need to start doing, what work you want to start doing, what work you can delegate, what work you can adjust how you're doing it. And that can really help. Even just the work piece can really assist with stress and feeling stuck because when you become more aware of the work that you enjoy doing, you become more aware of the work you want to do continuously and later on. And so that can help dictate what you want to do in your career moving forwards. So the last piece, probably the most important, it's meaning. A lot of the executives that I've worked with have, have forgotten completely why they do what they do. They get so sucked into the money, into the next step, into the fear of losing their job, of working in the work, right? Not on the work. You've probably heard that before. Same thing as working in the business, not on the business, especially if you're the founder or the CEO. And that, if you forget the meaning behind the things, you, you lose meaning, like even in yourself. And so really getting back in touch with what drew you to the organization in the first place, what drew you to the work that you're doing, what drew you even ultimately to your professional career. So this can relate to vision as well. And if we can even just increase, I think Adam Grant talked about if we can, if they did a research study, if your job has 20% meaning. So one day a week, there's something that you're doing that is meaningful. You remind yourself that your work is meaningful and you will feel that your job is meaningful. And that is an endless source of motivation and satisfaction and fulfillment. I love that model. That's amazing. Um, especially the meaning piece. Um, I know that to be so true in my own personal journey of you know why I was hit rock bottom. It was purposelessness and no, not having meaning in my life, which was really tied to work because I've always been so focused on work. Like I over-identified with myself and working. I still probably do, even though I'm a lot more self-actualized than I was back all those years ago. But it was amazing what happened when I, when I moved back to Durango and I started to work for Stone Age and the founders took a complete risk on hiring me. Um, and, uh, and I started to find meaning in my work and purpose in my work. And that like sparked this whole new inspiration in me, all right, of, of what I wanted to do with my career and my life. And, um, and it led me to where I am today, but it was that meaning piece. And I didn't understand that and how important that was um, in work and until I became, until I started to work for Stone Age. But that's such a critical piece. If you don't find meaning in what you do in at least a portion, like what you said, 20% of your work, work day, it's really, really, really hard to be satisfied in your career. And let's just use a term that I think people might resonate with too. It's not find meaning, it's create it. And it's sitting down and consciously deciding what meaning is coming from your work and what is important to you, what can be meaningful or what is meaningful, what has been meaningful. Yeah, and if too often we, we lose track of that and it's then all of a sudden we're working just to work and that can, the moment then something negative happens is the moment that we label work as negative because we've lost touch with the one always positive aspect of our jobs, which is meaning. And I, I also really think that it's okay to identify with work. Like say my brand identity is work, but not the job, not the organization. Yeah. I identify with my strengths, the pro the, what I'm producing, the fact that I know I'm never going to be complete because 
what I gain value from is the fact that I can constantly derive fulfillment from the things that I'm doing. And so to, that was a little complicated of a statement. What I mean by that is the things that bring us meaning are never supposed to be done yeah. because if they're done, they'll stop bringing us meaning. And so we, if we identify with work, then it's also a, a understanding that I'm never going to reach a milestone where I'm complete. Well, it's because the work is bringing you joy and it's never supposed to end because then that joy would end. So it's, I think some, sometimes we forget that. If I keep working harder, I'm going to finally get to this place and then that's going to be enough. It's not supposed to be. That's not how it works. There's no finish line. Yep. I agree with you completely. And I'm really glad you said that because there are so many people out there who are like, Ugh, I hate to work, right? I cannot wait until I'm retired. I cannot wait until I'm you know, on a yacht, I never have to worry about this stuff, right? Which is probably wishful thinking for 99% of the population. Um, but I, I think that's such a key is that where we humans are, we're meant to work, right? We're problem solvers. And if we don't have a problem to solve, we tend to create our own problems so that we have problems to solve. And so, you know, finding that joy in the problem solving, finding that joy in you know, the difficulty in your job and the challenge of learning new things and of things going wrong, right? That's such a powerful mindset shift that you can go through if you figure that out so that it can create that meaning. But I think you're totally right, right? It is about creating it. And if you're expecting an organization to give you meaning in your job, then you're probably going to just be waiting there miserable um, forever. Yeah, very true. And so as leaders, we have the responsibility to help the people that report to us yeah. do this for themselves. Uh, the greatest, greatest strategy of retention is to ensure that there's trust, which is a big ask, but then to check on the environment, check on the actual work and highlight the meaning to everyone around you. And that actually will help you be perceived as an executive. You will have more presence for the people around you because of it. And a lot of times when we do things for other people, it's a reminder to do it for ourselves. Not all the time, but just a little trick for anyone listening as well. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about that, right? So you said I, you were so frustrated in your executive role because you didn't care about your job and it made you mad that nobody was paying attention. Um and while, you know, yes, it is your responsibility to take charge of your career, it is really important for leaders and managers to notice when they have actively disengaged employees and to lean into that. So what advice do you have to, to all these listeners who are leaders and managers who are trying to figure out how to maybe re-engage those disengaged workers? I'd love to hear your thoughts on this too, but Overall, the biggest issue I see here is that leaders don't have a baseline with their employees. So they don't actually even communicate with them other than when work needs to get done or when there's maybe organizational communication that needs to be provided. And so if you don't know what, like how your employees like normally act, you're not going to know that they're disengaged. Some signs of being disengaged though are, you know, being late to meetings, taking days off not speaking up in meetings, having a one-on-one. -on -one. And so this is when you know a baseline of how much they engage. They don't really bring anything to the one-on-one. -on -one. They kind of are geared up and ready to end the meeting in 15 minutes when your one-on-one -on -one is maybe 45 minutes. 
So they actively show that they are not looking to add to the organization. Now, sometimes you have introverts, but that that like relationship with you, like in that one-to-one or when you ping them and how they respond to you is one of the greatest indicators. So if you kind of know how they tend to react and engage with you personally as their leader, you'll be able to understand when they really disengage. The other piece is you can also ask other teammates and peers, as well as your other direct reports, just every, every, you know, every month or so, what do you think is going on with the team? Who's been engaged? Are people responding to you in the way that they need to? You will find out if someone's disengaged because they're going to be the person that's not responding to the other people on your team. They're just, they're there, but they're not there. Now what to do about it? Wait, would you like to add anything to the the signs? No, of I agree with you completely. Yeah, my number one thing is you have to talk to people. Like you have to have those relationships. It's the foundation of everything. So I'm with you 100%. <laughs> and it's incredible how many organizations don't. I know. It's so sad. Yeah. I consult in terms of performance management. And then when I was building the talent development department at the life sciences manufacturer, no one-on-ones, zero no communication from up downwards. And it's so simple. It is really simple, but it's really hard for companies to do because you get to a point sometimes where you just think people should do their job. And it's just not the case. They, they will do their job if they feel recognized, if they trust you, if they, have, if they feel like they're part of the organization and the team. And They also want to, people want to check in. They want to feel that there's a coach, that there's a mentor for them, that they have a leader above them looking out for them. So I'm getting derailed. But uh, when it comes to activating disengaged employees, one, you might want to get rid of them. So I think we keep people too long that aren't a fit for an organization and they coast and that can be true poison for a team. When someone sees someone else getting away with things, they're going to get pretty frustrated and they're going to look out the door. If you want to engage them though, take them through the team, take them through the, the team framework. Yeah. Right. So are they disengaged because they don't trust you? Sometimes the case, uh, an employee tends to become disengaged, not start disengaged. So something happened, either they were promised something and you didn't follow up. You maybe didn't recognize them for work that they did. They thought that you were going to do something and didn't do it. They don't hear from you. They feel left out. They told you they wanted a promotion and that wasn't possible. It didn't happen. Like there's tends to be that someone becomes disengaged because of something that happens. So it's your time to start asking questions. Hey, I noticed you've pulled back a little bit. We really value you as an employee here. I'd like to really understand what's going on. Let's call out the elephant. They're going to say nothing. And your job is to stick with it and to find out what, what's going on and to keep asking questions. So tell me more about that. Like, what's the real problem here? Well, um, let's, let's dive in a little bit more f- further into that. And you should, have, you should do your work as their leader. Go back on emails, go back on projects that they've been working on, go see when they started to become disengaged and try to tie in some of the things that might have happened and bring them up and see their reactions. Be open and honest with them in a way you haven't before. And schedule schedule some time and do not end early until you get until you get to something significant 
and then schedule follow-ups and make sure you're using that time to truly connect with this individual. Positive recognition can go a long way. Feeling like feeling like you they have a trusted partner can go a long way. So helping them with their career path. And uh, I'd say if you think there's a chance, don't give up and spend that time with them. What what would you think? What would you like to add to that, Carrie? No, I completely agree with you. I think trust is the foundation getting to know people. Um, uh, you're totally spot on. Um, you know, another thing that I think that managers um, inadvertently do, that's a really hard one to get over, is if you embarrass an employee, you put somebody on the spot. Yep. Like, that's a tough one. And that's, a, a, that's probably the toughest one to get over, right? Because it's so such a visceral feeling that people feel embarrassment, sh- shame, you know, whatever comes up for them. And so I, and you don't know like how that comment triggers past trauma. And so I always remind my managers, like, remember, everybody is, has some sort of baggage and some sort of past trauma that, you know, is either affecting them consciously now or subconsciously that can be triggered. And it's not your responsibility to own their triggers and to own their trauma, but you also have to understand that maybe a flipping comment that you might make might trigger something and you need to own that if they say, hey, you know, this was really em- embarrassing to me. I did this once. I told one of my employees I was disappointed in her. And I was like, what happened was bad. The word disappointment was such a huge trigger word for her because her father used it with her all the time. And so she went into this like total shame spiral and she was so upset with me. And I had no idea, you know, where that came from. And so, you know, I work really hard to not use emotionally, potentially emotionally charged words. <laughs> That might not have a meaning to me, but could potentially yeah. have meaning to other people. And that's, a, I think, a huge part of trust is like is as understanding those emotionally charged words can can really trigger somebody. Yeah, let's get specific for the leaders a little bit more when it comes to disengaged yeah. employees. So you should have one on ones. Yeah, you should check in midweek just on Teams or Slack virtually or in person. See how their day is going. Just show them that you care. You should focus on positive recognition. So if you have constructive, if you have to tell them to do something, you should have at least five to seven, preferably positive comments on their work and just in general. And that those positive construct, uh, positive comments, not constructive, should focus on the SBIC model of feedback. So it's that's specific uh, behavior, impact, and commitment. And so for listeners that haven't heard that before, please look up the SBI model. The C is a little addition that I've made. That means that you need to give feedback that can be actioned on. So you, as well as you can say that you're disappointed, which is that emotional word, but that's that can really hurt somebody. Or you could say, you know, hey, Joanne, yesterday during our meeting, it seems like we didn't have the materials that we needed to really knock that client presentation out of the park. I really would have liked to see some revenue projections that took into account X, Y, and Z. You know, can we make sure that that's, that happens for our, that, and so that, it, that potentially lost us this client or, you know, didn't, didn't move us along the sales cycle that we would like to move. Is it possible in the future that we meet a couple of days before the meeting to go over the presentation to ensure that we have all the materials? And so you're very specific. You talk about the behavior that happened. You highlight the impact that's not personal and then you ask for a solution uh, the other uh, pieces two pieces that i'd recommend is you have one-on-ones most leaders just have them and sign off 
you want to show someone that you care, keep notes, have it in a shared document, follow up on those notes every single time you have that one-to-one. Preferably, you're focused on their quarterly goals or annual goals, and you're guiding them in progress to ensure that they knock their review out of the park because they will recognize that you care. And then if someone has career development goals, if they've asked you once for a promotion, if they've asked you once for a raise, they're thinking about it every single day. And every day that goes by that you don't comment on it is a day that they become a little bit disengaged. Mm-hmm. And it, it blows me away that this is the case, but I've lived it. And I know other people too, do too. When someone asks for a promotion or a raise, they wanted it yesterday, not in six months. Usually it takes six months to a year or more. So every single day that, that goes by, they are pulling back. So how can you bring, you know, bring some lights, let them know that they're on track, let them know that you are rooting for them, let them know that there's other ways to also grow in the organization so that they still, they still stay engaged. I know that was a lot of info. Hopefully someone just picks one of those things and puts it into action. Now, I love it. I think that's really good. And I would like to just maybe just expand on this whole idea of somebody asking for a promotion or a raise and you know, like sometimes, right, you're just not able to do it as a manager. And it's just easier to say, you know, no, it can't happen. You know, we'll talk about it next year. So how can like maybe give some like actionable steps that a leader or manager can do for those employees where they can't do that promotion now, whether there's not room in the organization or that employee is not ready for it to keep it front and center. So it feels authentic and real and like it's making progress, not just like a checkoff um, or completely ignoring. It really depends also on what the actual situation is with getting a promotion. So maybe there is a track to get promoted. Okay, so then your job is to ensure that that you constantly check in on that track, that they're on target for that track, and that they will have the best chance to become promoted. Now, normally, though, what tends to be the case is there isn't a track and there is no set process, and that person probably is not going to get promoted. It's just the case, unless something happens. So the leader then should get to the heart of what is the reason behind why they want to get promoted. Is it that they're bored? Is it skill development? Is it that they feel stuck in their career? Is it that they're worried that they're not going to make money to put a down payment on a home that they're trying to buy? Because each of those reasons requires different actions. Once you become clear on the reasons behind it, then you can start following up on, on those reasons themselves. If it's just skill development, then you can help them build some cross-functional partners and get involved on other projects. You can give them some of your work and coach and guide them in that work. Now, if it's because they want more money, then you can start exploring opportunities for them to make more money at the organization itself. Maybe it's a spot bonus. Maybe it's an extra project, maybe it's contract work, uh, maybe there's a different level that they can work on in, but it's not next year, it's in two and a half to three years. So let them know what that level is and what they can work towards. So it really also just depends, but it needs to, it needs to be a conversation piece. Yep. I think that's really important. Don't just ignore it. Yeah. That's really great advice. So I have to ask you, um, I've got a couple more questions before we wrap up, but I have to ask you, so you you cancel people in their careers. Um, what what do you find like most valuable and most you know impactful in what you're doing now? Because clearly you're an expert in this. Um, so where what is that passion for you? What does that impact for you? I just love creating self leaders. It pains me when like one of the most painful moments I've ever had 
in this profession was when someone attended one of my virtual events and they asked me to jump on a, a call, like a sales call, and I was talking to them. And no matter what I said, and I still wish I could go back in time and maybe have another conversation, this person believed that it wasn't possible for them to have their, to create their dream job. And it wasn't even anything that far reaching. It was just a job in working at a certain, you know, a certain organization, a certain industry, they had the experience, but they've given, they, they gave up and it was so painful. It's like, cause even in the follow-up, those words, which is like, you know what, I'm just going to give up. I realize I can't get what I want for my career. I'm just going to make some money and, and that's it. And some people do just work because they want a paycheck, but this person wanted more and they gave in to the belief that it wasn't possible. So if I can create more self-leaders that believe that work can be a place of enjoyment and fun and meaning and the skill, whatever they want from it and aligns with their values and help them feel that they're accountable for their own success in their career and that nobody else is. And that rejection isn't rejection. It's just a step in the progress, in the process towards making progress towards their goals. Then I will be happy. I love that. That's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing. All right. And then you used the word reflect um, earlier in this podcast. And, uh, and the name of this podcast is Reflect Forward. And, you know, in context for, for this idea around self-leadership, you know, what, what, does, what does Reflect Forward mean to you? It aligns very much with what I believe coaching is. It's knowing yourself. So reflection so that you can move forward. Some realms of development, personal development, stay in reflection. And then they use whatever reasons we derive from that reflection to explain who we are as crutches to stay as who we are. Yeah. Reflect forward means to me that we understand ourselves so that we can make progress. I love that answer. It's one of my favorites. So good. Thank you. <laughs> very, very, very true. All right. And if you had one piece of advice for leaders looking to be their very best, what would that be? It would believe in yourself. You are who you are in that meeting. Yeah. You are who you are in that one-on-one. -on -one. You are who you are in that job interview. You can prepare all you want the day before, 30 minutes before, five minutes before, 30 seconds before, five seconds before. does not matter when you are showing up and it's game time. I played soccer when I was younger and I realized a lot of my mistakes happened when I was stuck in indecision, when I hesitated, did I want to go right? Did I want to go left? Did I want to shoot? Did I want to pass? When you decide the direction you want to go, it happens because you're all the practice that you've done takes over and you don't decide then the instincts within you, the strengths within you, the skills don't have that chance. And so you're a leader, be a leader in the moment. You can worry about it afterwards. If you're a soccer player, right? Make the decision. Otherwise you're going to get the ball stolen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, I love it. I love it. All right. So let's talk a little bit about what you've got going on. You've got a couple podcasts. You've got a masterclass. So let's talk about for just a minute here while we wrap things up. Yeah, thanks. So if anyone wants to learn more about me, go to liveforyourselfconsulting.com. 
you don't like typing lfyconsulting.com. And you can also find me on LinkedIn, Dr. Benjamin Ritter. Send me a message. Let me know that you heard me here. And I always like giving a little bit of a challenge. Uh, send me your favorite knock-knock joke. If you connect with me on LinkedIn, I would, I would love to hear them. I had a bunch of riddles from this last podcast that I was on. It was a lot of fun. You can also check out The Executive if you're interested in leadership stories and theories, which very soon Carrie will be a guest on as well. That's on iTunes, on Spotify, anywhere you can hear podcasts. And if you're looking for a new job, check out a masterclass course that I created. It's full-on self-learning. It's six weeks of coaching distilled into two hours of videos and worksheets, about 25 pages of worksheets. A lot of work, but it is, the value is pretty awesome. It's a really affordable option too instead of coaching. And that's how to be the leader of your own career and create a career that you can love. And you can get to that link through the website or my LinkedIn profile. Awesome. Well, Benjamin, thank you so much for joining me on the show today and for sharing your story, your experience, your expertise. This has been a, a really fun conversation and a very insightful conversation. I'm sure many are going to walk away with lots of nuggets. Uh, full of nuggets. Find that pot of gold. Pick. I know there's a lot of them. I know we want to take the whole pot, but we take one nugget. It tends to be enough value. So pick one thing, put it into action, come back, re-listen to the show, pick another thing, put it into action. And thanks again. It's been a lot of fun. All right. Thank you. All right. Hang tight, everyone. I'll be right back. All right. I'm back, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Ben. Such good stuff right there. All right. With that, I will leave you for your day. I hope you have a fantastic one. I have great news, by the way. I have a book launch date of October 17th. So you'll be hearing a lot more about that. We're going to do a series with people who are very interested in the ownership mindset, employee ownership, uh, empowered cultures and how to build them. So be on the lookout for that over the summer. Really excited about this series we're going to bring you as we prepare for my book launch. My book is called The Ownership Mindset, a handbook to transform your life and leadership. I'm so excited about it. And that's it for today. So we'll see you next week on Reflect Forward. And if you like this podcast, please write a review, like it, subscribe to it, share it with a friend. It always helps with the algorithms and it spreads these amazing interviews with amazing guests like Ben. Thanks. See you next week.